0: Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing podcast with your host Austin Yen and Mayu. What's going on, everybody?
1: Austin, what's we'll new with you, man? What have you been up to?
0: I don't know. What have I been up to? I'm just trying to think what I've been up to. Um, we've been we've been hitting the mailers quite hard as per usual. I might purchase a couple like small properties here and there, just good deals, easy projects, single family homes. Um, in St. Marie, like we were picking one up, hopefully for 135,000 in a decent area and only needs probably 15 grand to work. So we're just picking up easy things and just acquiring real estate right now. Um, on the wholesaling side of things, we had a couple of new leads and deals. One of the tough parts is, is that from time to time, the tenant might not cooperate in letting people take photos and videos. And um, I have to get involved in that process because, you know, I'm the king of N11s, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so negotiating vacancies before you sell it, I guess? Um, no, I, I guess so. Yeah, like not vacancy. I'm trying to get an N11 sign. So at least even if it's not vacant possession, it adds a tremendous amount of value for an investor, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And this, I will usually, I, I don't do that, by the way. So I don't want whole, like, buyers to think that I do that regularly. Yeah. I'm only doing at, right now, because the tenant is not letting us take photos and videos. So I was just like, fuck it. I might as well just try to get them out as well. right? So they'll add value to the property. And um, there's another property we had where it's supposed to be vacant possession. We assigned it and then the tenant is there at the moment and the tenant has no intention of leaving. So spoke to the buyer, push closing a month, spoke to the seller. Seller's not able to get the tenant out. And I'm trying to get the tenant out now, which is just, Fucking like it it I don't like doing that because it's like yeah. i I don't own the asset, so why am I doing all of this you know, that I don't mind doing it when you own the asset, but when you don't own the asset and you just try to get it to closing, it's just it doesn't feel like it's worth a whole yeah. lot of my time you think you, you think you'll, you'll get success with that seller or that tenant or no yeah, so the tenant's o d s p like paying six hundred dollars for a two bedroom in Owen Sound, which would be like fourteen hundred probably mm. um we have I have good rapport actually the one that even with the other tenant that's not letting the seller in or our wholesaler in to take photos i had a 30 minute call with them and we have good rapport as well i think i'm probably going to get them to sign the n 11 like the previous owner tried to kick them out like five times like yeah. took them to the ltb loss um served them with like n13s and then they didn't care and they stopped paying rent for five months but uh I don't know. Like I, I built good rapport with that tenant and it seems like they're probably just going to sign the paperwork and leave for like 5k, which is not bad. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. Especially if they're a problem tenant. So we'll see what happens though. Um, I'm getting pretty good at it. <laughs> <laughs> you can start doing a side business out of this, man. There's people are there, yeah, that's I've been good out there thinking about it, but uh, we'll see. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to travel around yeah. anything, like all across right, Ontario yeah. to do that shit, but uh, what's going on with you, man? Um, no,
1: it's going pretty good, man. I think, uh, our, our, I guess we could talk about the flip, the Prince Edward County flip. That one's going, uh, pretty well. We're at the stage of doing flooring and and stuff like that. Um, when we bought it, there was like some water in the basement, but it's just stopped. Like there's no water anymore. Right. So we're kind of like, what the fuck? Um, so it's, it's also tough when the water stops because now you don't really know where the source of the problem is or, or if there is or where it is, like, I'm pretty sure there is, but we just don't know where.
0: You probably don't need to fix it though, right? Because it might yes. just be like runoff water. You just don't know, right? Like here's the worst case. Okay, you
1: list it, like thinking that you know it's all good. Um, and then right before you know, time to time to let like go to market, it comes back and then it prolongs us even more, right? That's one worst case. Second case is you sell it. Um, uh, ideally you sell it as is condition, and then you put in all the warrant, like warranties and stuff like that in there. But before closing, shit could go wrong, and technically it's still our asset, and we still have to kind of fix it, right? Um, but either way, like that flip is going good. Uh, it it was, it's a property that's hard to gauge where, what it'll actually sell for because every kind of property in that area is super unique. Um, it's land and some properties have even more land, like a hundred acres, Some have like no land. Right. So it's really just like, we're we're kind of just shooting the shit and just see where we kind of end up. on. But the the
0: market's gone up tremendously since you guys placed the offer. So that's a good thing as well yeah that's true the market's gone up everywhere
1: I'm trying to see. it's yeah. fucked now right like it's ridiculous the kind of shit that we're seeing in today's world is i don't know it's totally crazy um mortgage world is going good as well um I, i'm my my training? team member starting what was that training your team member now he's starting march 7th so it's oh, tough okay. because it's kind of like a short-term like period of pain where there's enough work where like i really need like his help but um just got to kind of deal with it and, and just working a lot of like overtime but i mean it's fine. I like what I do. So, so no complaints there. Uh, the investing side, it's interesting. Like I've, I've been focusing more time on the resort acquisition, which we kind of talked about in the year end one, or I guess the episode that I did. Um, so I haven't really been focusing a whole lot investing, uh, but hopefully the second half of the year, I think I'm pushing that goal to then just cause
0: I'm going to treat this as 16 units acquisition, <laughs> but we'll see how that goes. Nice. Nice. Awesome. I'm speaking of big acquisitions, cash for keys and all of that. Um, someone who's probably very familiar with that is our next guest, Alfonso. Alfonso is what is it, the Godfather, of multifamily, the Godfather of apartment yeah, buildings. Guy kills he's it. The, <laughs> he's been in the real estate game for a long time. Um, he definitely has over 500 plus units. I don't know if it's even in the thousands now. Uh, buildings in Ottawa, Hamilton, New Brunswick, Alberta, all over the place. He's absolutely crushing it. I know that he has a bunch of uh, mentees. He runs a coaching program as well. And we know quite a bit of our guests who is in the multifamily space are a part of his coaching program or have been a part of his coaching program. There's so much to learn in this. His story is super inspirational. Surprisingly, he started with absolutely nothing. and was an immigrant troublemaker and then built his business to what it is today. Uh, Phenomenal stories. I'm sure you guys will enjoy this episode. Make sure to like, subscribe, do whatever you can to support the podcast. Trying to get it to 110 likes by the end of the month. But without further ado, I uh, check out the episode with Alfonso. Hello, everyone. We are joined with our very special guest, Alfonso. Alfonso, thank you for joining the Raj Real Estate Investing Podcast.
2: Woo, good to be here, guys. All right, I feel I feel right at home. I, I've heard so
1: many good things about you guys, and I've caught a couple shows. <laughs> awesome, I love the energy, Alfonso. So we know a decent amount about you, but you know, for our guests and our listeners, why don't you just give everyone kind of a quick. Um, or not quick, but like a, a rundown on how you got started um, in real estate investing, and really your, your journey up to date and what you're doing now. Okay, so I'll give you I'll give you the
2: synopsis. Uh, I came to this country as a refugee from El Salvador back in the '70s. We were in a you know when I was a kid, I was in a civil war. Um, came as a refugee, had a a bit of a hard time uh, integrating into the school system here. Ended up hanging around with the wrong people. You know, bad crowd and uh, ended up leaving home at 15 years old, uh, living on the streets uh, up to no good. You know, some really dark times in my life, just like everybody's probably had a uh, has a dark time to tell about. Uh, My turning point came when I was 17 and I became a father and that changed everything for me. It gave me a different perspective on life. gave me a purpose, a why on why I was going to clean up my act. And, um, I went back to school. I started a business at 17. And at the very beginning, back when I was 17 years old, I just wanted to make my little girl proud of me. You know, I when I'm, I was a father, I was like, I just want to make this little girl proud. And so I started that business by the time I was 21, that business was grossing in the millions all across Canada, Canadian wide business. And, um, the issue in what I discovered quickly is I was very much a consumer in my household. There wasn't uh, any talk of financial literacy. There wasn't any talk about, you know, savings. All my mom could tell me, obviously, immigrant parents, they they, they tell their kids the same thing, go to school and everything's going to be all right. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> right. You know, just all my mom could say is like the best thing that you could do in your life is get a university degree. Well, that wasn't my path. And so uh when we were hit with a downturn in the economy after uh, 9/11 there was like a a, a mini uh, correction I realized how vulnerable I was and it almost took me out and so I started to educate myself and uh now we're talking about 23 years ago you know 22 mm-hmm. 23 years ago you guys weren't even born yet I'm sure <laughs> but uh just a little baby <laughs> <laughs> just little babies right and um You know, I realized, you know, that number one, I needed to make that transition from being a consumer to an investor. And I also realized how vulnerable I was with one stream of income, that business, even though I had full control over my time, I was vulnerable because I was subject to new ways of delivering the service, new uh, technologies, competition. And so I made a decision that I wanted to create a second stream of income that was indestructible. And uh, after doing all my research and reading about all the wealthiest people in the world, I discovered that that indestructible stream needed to be real estate, specifically commercial real estate, not like plazas, but commercial residential. And it was just so logical to me at that time that, you know, the economy of scale, right? And the idea that you could, you know, because you're buying in bulk, because when you're buying an apartment building, you're buying in bulk, right? Mm-hmm. And the price per unit, just the same way when you go to Costco, uh, the you know, when you buy in bulk, the price per unit reduces. And that made a lot of sense to me because, you know, as a kid, I played Monopoly. We all played Monopoly. And the objective was to, you know, get the red hotel. It wasn't to, you know, buy those single family houses. It was like, get four of them and then you can level up to that red hotel. And so in my mind is like, why can't I? why can't I just level up right away? Right. And, uh, that's what I did 22 years ago. I, and, uh, I went right into multifamily right away and, uh, you know, I leveled up and then I was caught again by another downturn in the economy 2009, but this time I was ready. And between that time I've managed to buy apartment buildings all across Canada and now going into the U S and, uh, you know, people have tagged me the godfather of real estate. So
0: <laughs> that's it. And that's a in sick a, title. I've been yeah. watching a ton of mafia movies. So, <laughs> so funny. Godfather of real estate. Listen, like, so,
2: someone did a, some sort of meme about me and uh, you know, I thought it was kind of cute and they you know, had me in this. Uh, uh, let me see if I have it here, but it, it I, I found it cute and I just kind of went with it. I think, uh, you know, I think it was pretty funny, but let me see if I have it here. So you guys, that's
0: hilarious. So,
1: <laughs> so Alfonso what, what was the first business that you, that you jumped in that you started off with? That Yeah, like, it was, a, it was actually a clothing store. I grew up during the
2: golden era of hip hop <laughs> and, um, you know, back in, in 1995, 96, uh, no one was, especially where I come, where I lived at the time, Ottawa, Ontario, there was no, no one was serving that community. Right. And, um, mm-hmm you know, shortly after my daughter was born, I went back to school and I got a job, $5 an hour. Mm. First of all, I realized that it's impossible to, you know, feed a family, go to school full-time and $5 an hour. Right. Um, That was the minimum wage at the time. And so, you know, my, my paycheck, one of my paychecks, I remember getting one of my paychecks working so hard, it was like $250, you know? So I was in Toronto on Yonge Street and, uh, there was these street vendors and they had like some jeans and t-shirts and things like that. So I took my entire paycheck and I bought, uh, jeans and t-shirts and then went to school in Ottawa. And, you know, during lunch, I would tell some kids, Hey, I got some, some of these jeans and t-shirts that I bought in, uh, in Toronto. And, uh, of course everybody's interested because it was, they were hungry. There was nowhere to get, there was no one servicing this market, mm-hmm. and the one of the jeans that I bought for $20, I was able to sell them for $60. Mm. In Holy
0: shit. Yeah. <laughs> Triple the margin. That's crazy. So then I,
2: I then I, then, you know, you don't, you don't need to have a, a MBA to figure out that, you know, $5 an hour is not going to cut it when I can make $40 profit in a 10 minute transaction. Mm. And so from that point at 17, I knew I was going to pursue profits. For the rest of my life. I knew that I was not going to go and work for anyone. In fact, when I started my my business and I just, I'm going to flip clothing, it turned into a physical location when I was 19. And by the time I was 21, I had locations all
0: across Canada. That's amazing. Wow. So (laughs) you obviously have an entrepreneurial spirit, and I guess it comes from your strong rooted why, right? Um, of, Of your journey in life. And I want to dive down a bit more into your first multifamily property. So, a lot of people, uh, especially in current market conditions, we start with single families, level up to a duplex, triplex. And then, after maybe a year or two, sometimes even five years, then we start exploring the big apartment buildings. Um, I just want to get an understanding of kind of your journey of getting a, an apartment building right away. Um, was there a lot of mistakes made along the way? How was the due diligence process? How did you get over it? That kind of mindset shift up? Like, I'm not even going to do small stuff. I'm just going to jump right into the big things.
2: Yeah. So my, actually my, my first deal was uh, a single family house. And that deal happened, uh, when I was 21 in the midst of all of my success and money, money coming to me, I thought, okay, maybe I, I like to buy a house. Right. And, um, I was just a, like one person, right? And so what I what I ended up doing is I converted the 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 basement into a another unit, right? So it was like an up and down, so an SDU basically. But I didn't know, there was no name for it back then. It was just like, you renovate your basement <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then you bring in a tenant or whatnot. So that was my first deal. I was 21 years old, okay? So I didn't even understand what I was doing. It was not intentional. It was not like an investment it was just i thought i lived in an apartment building and apartments all of my life i mean economically my my family's never been well off and um i thought okay this would be a sign of success if i owned a house right so that's i did it as a, from a commercial uh sorry uh, a consumer perspective uh-huh. right at 21 and then fast forward when i'm uh, 23 24 when i'm almost at a point where i'm going to lose everything because I was hit with a a downturn in the economy. And then I realized that I needed to change. Uh, And I started reading, I'm like, okay, this house is not doing anything for me. In in fact, it's sucking, it's sucking money out of my pocket, right? So, you know, I had sold that, I I sold that house. And then I had like $93,000 in my, in my hands. And I knew after reading that what I wanted to do was real estate. And so before, and you guys won't even know what I'm talking about, but our marketplace used to be not Facebook or social media, because it didn't exist (laughs) back in 2002. Uh, The marketplace was the classified section. And so we used to go to the classified sections, and this is where you would find people, hey, JV partners are looking to raise capital, you know, uh, rent-to-owns, Hard money lenders, private lenders—everything was in that classified section. And so, what I would do is I, w- I would read this, and I'm like, "How are these people doing this?"
1: You're talking about classified sections of a newspaper?
2: Yes, yes. That's oh, old okay. school. Like, you don't, know, <laughs> you, you don't even know about, the, you know, before internet. You know, that's that's how long. this was called me the god. That's why they call me the Godfather. I think people are just saying I'm old. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense, though. <laughs> so, um, what I noticed is the same person's name and phone number kept showing up in all of these ads. Right. And I said, I'm going to call this guy. Right. Like, cause when I sold him that first property and then I was downsizing because I'd almost lost everything with my business, I said, I'm going to go into real estate, but I don't know what I'm doing. And so I looked at this classified that, you know, the guy's name was Tony. And then I called him and I said, Hey, you know, can we go, can we go for, for a coffee? And then he takes my, finally, I I called him multiple times. Okay. I'm called him multiple times. You know, think about it. I'm 23, 24 years old. Uh, I'm 45 now, just to give you a bit of a perspective. So it's a a long time ago. And uh, I remember having that coffee with him eventually. And then I said, I want you to be my mentor. (laughs) And, and he says, uh, he says, I don't have time for that. Like, this is not what I do. Right. I have, I have to build my business. And I said, I'll make it worth your time. I make it I make it worth your while. Right. He's like, you couldn't afford me. And I said, try me. And so, you know, when someone gives you a number because they know that the number is, is so much that you, you're going to say no. Yeah. Right. It's like, It's uh it's like shoe away money. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, and if someone says yes, then you'll take it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he said ten thousand dollars a month. And uh I said, let's go, right? <laughs> because for me, wow. it was more valuable to do what this guy was doing at ten thousand dollars a month than um than to try to figure it out on my own. And and I know because I had experience with the business, I knew how hard it was to even learn about a business, right? So I had that insight. And so I didn't care if the guy would have said 20,000, 30,000, you know, I would have, I would have, I would have paid it Uh fortunate, you know, we went right to work and uh, my first deal was a conversion and uh, basically bought a duplex, converted into a triplex, pulled out the money within the, the first 20 days. Okay. Holy so shit. as I'm getting, so I'm, I invested the money and as I'm getting the money back, I'm going to the lawyer and getting that money back, I still don't understand what just happened. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't understand how I put, you know, I put 70 K 20 days later, I own the property, I'm living in the unit. And then I have 70 K in my, in my, in my hands. I could not, I could not, if you pull the gun to my head and say, tell me how this works. I could not tell you how it works, (laughs) you know? And, and, um, and then my second deal was a seven unit apartment building. And then, um, I went back. I kept I kept going back. And, and basically, I'm giving uh, this guy uh, $10,000 and I'm like, okay, so what next? And he was like, just do it again. Just do it again. Just do it again. Mm-hmm. And what I ended up doing, it was just like going bigger and bigger and bigger and every time. And, and what I discovered was like, oh, wait a minute. Uh, this seven unit building was actually easier than going through the process of buying this triplex, you know? And then easier to manage. And then, so then I went to a 10 unit building and then I'm like, Oh, okay. This is easier to manage than a seven unit and easier to get financing. And then I went to a 13 unit and then a 16 unit and 20 units and then 30 units and 60 units. And every time I leveled up, it got easier.
1: Mm -hmm. Wow. That's quite the story. Actually this left me and Austin both kind of speechless there. As you were leveling up though, I'm sure you faced, you know, capital constraints, financing constraints, um, and I know back then commercial financing was and financing as a whole was a different beast. Right. Um, but you can still relate a lot of this stuff to today's world. Right. So I'm, I'm just con- um, just wondering like how you went about handling those kind of like capital constraints primarily, I guess. Well, one of the biggest ones,
2: 2007 and earlier 2008, it was bananas. We didn't have like networking uh, groups like we do on Facebook and whatnot. We used to have physical, we used to have, you'd meet people in, real life networking events, right? And these places were full all the time, all across Canada. And people are just giving money was so easy. You know what I mean? Everybody's trying to do, you know, promissory notes. And the money was like easy as you have a deal, anybody funds it, whatever interest, it doesn't matter. When we saw the market crash in the U S it wasn't so much of a crash here in Canada. It was more of a correction, but the money just disappeared. (sighs) Yeah. It was like, it was like a vortex. It's just like a black hole. No one wanted to lend money, no P notes, no second mortgages, no hard money, nothing. Right. And the only people, now we're talking about our apartment building money or, or, or investor money, you know, like the the kind of the strategies that we know today uh, and that we enjoy and we love. Um that was very similar you 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 know you would have deals you know you had properties with you know 30 offers and multiple offers and over asking sound familiar you're saying that in 0708 <laughs> what's that you're saying 0708 0-7-0-8? Really? 0708 0-7-0-8. it was just it was bananas right and so what happens is people get really uh really um confident too confident i would say and then they start uh borrowing uh, without thinking because they're like, Oh, it's, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. What happens is when the money disappears, you no longer have that ability. And if you get stuck in between projects, that's it. Like no more money, no one's going to lend their money. Everybody's calling their money. And a lot of those people that were around back in 2007 don't even exist today. Right all the wholesalers, all the flippers, all the, you know, SDU people, they're nowhere to be seen today. Maybe a few, right. The multifamily guys or uh, people. Right. And so what I noticed there was two ways to move forward back in 2008. That was creative, right? Now you got to sharpen your pencil and get your thinking hat. And a lot of the deals, the majority of the deals that I did back then were really creative VTB agreements for sales, um, you know, all with the seller. Need when you find the these motivated sellers that now are stuck, right? And I'm talking about multifamily, right? And CMHC, right? And so, what I discovered was with CMHC, they want to focus push the economy forward in Canada, but they're very strict on their on, on their underwriting philosophy. And so, I started to ask these questions: Why are they so strict? Well, they don't want to lose money. Well, neither do I, right? And so I started to adopt my underwriting based on what they would qualify as an investment, in an asset, and what they would look for. So basically, I ended up looking for properties that I can flip back to CMHC and refi with CMHC. And um, that's never failed me. So we were able to pick up like big portfolios, grow in a really conservative, but in a time where everybody was scared, right? Case in point, April of 2020, right? And April 2020, for a lot of the people and probably a lot of the people listening to this podcast, April 1st, 2020 was Judgment Day for all the people that have apartment buildings, right? And uh, moving uh, the days up into 2020, we were scared. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, we took so much action. We make sure we talk to every tenant. I mean, we have hundreds of tenants across Canada. And um, April 1st came and we were 98% collected. April 2nd, I woke up and it was like, I'm like, this is go time. And between April 2nd, 2020 to to April, uh, sorry, to about August 15th, we took the most amount of action that we've ever taken in the history of our company. And, uh, the acquisitions that we did during that time were unbelievable. We were April 15th. We're out there looking at properties, buying properties and people are like, what are you doing? Like, it's a pandemic, you know, <laughs> like, what do you guys? Like, you, you know, I'm like, I'm like it, to me, there's no pandemic. I'm like, it's go time. Right. People were scared. They didn't know what's going on. Um, We were able to get discounts where you couldn't get those discounts back in March. And so for us, it was go time. We bought millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars of real estate. And all of that activity ended up now that values of those properties almost double. Right. And then people, I think it was like January. They're like, so when is this like, Recession gonna happen, you know. What do you talk? You missed it. It was April twenty twenty, <laughs> you know. And so you got to be ready, right? You got to be ready to expand, and um, you know there will be those times, and you got to take actions. And there, and those time times are still going to come back, right? Because this seems and feels like two thousand and seven and two thousand eight all over again. And so I'm ready, right? I'm still buying. I'm not gonna stop buying. But when that time comes, I'm going in strong.
0: Yeah, I guess for a lot of investors, it's hard to understand you're in that time, right? When we're in the pandemic, everyone pulled back because there was so much fear and uncertainty. But it was good that you went through kind of the past bubbles and and bursts of the past because you're able to better identify that, right? If there's a slowdown, it's like, oh, there's an opportunity. And yes, money might dry up. But with motivated sellers of apartment buildings, they'll be the one to lend to you because they just want to get rid of their assets. So you took advantage of that. So that's phenomenal. I just do want to get a better understanding of where you invest. So I know you invest all across Canada. Can you walk me through your journey a bit? Did you start buying a bit in Ottawa? Then you started doing cross country. Like, can you give me an idea of your investment yeah, so, strategy location wise?
2: So basically, it wasn't like uh, like I didn't like start off my career trying to be the godfather of real estate. You know what I mean? It was very, it was very simple. I went where the the cash flow was, and when I started in Ottawa, this was like a you know up and coming neighborhood, right? And so, you know, I went and to those underperforming properties with those unfavorable type of tenants, and you know, fighting with these people and doing all. I mean, I I, I earned my stripes, and so after a while. The numbers didn't make sense. So I started to look outside of Ottawa. After a while, those numbers didn't make sense. Then I went to Southern Ontario. I mean, we were going to Hamilton. We were buying, we were on foreclosure uh, uh, bus tours in Hamilton, you know, where you you would drive down this 20 years ago, you would drive down, you know, there'd be all these investors on a bus and there's like boarded up buildings that we were buying, you know, for 10 cents on the dollar right? And people are like, why are you doing that? Right? So we were always looking for these markets, right? And then Ontario, it became difficult to purchase. And so then I went to New Brunswick, right? And this is like before before the pandemic, we we had portfolios in New Brunswick and now East. And, and people were like, why are you going there? I'm like, guys, this is the place, right? Now people are talking about New Brunswick, but like, you know what happened to when I was pushing you to New Brunswick when, when it was thirty thousand dollars a door.
1: Yeah, people want to come after the appreciation.
2: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but now I'm out of New Brunswick. I, you know, we sold some of our portfolios there. Now we're going out west, right? And now everybody's following out west. So now I'm going. I'm going south, right? And uh, specifically, I'm going south for something different. I'm I'm just a different investor now. I'm at a point where I need to level, really level up to the next phase. And you talked about, um, I think before the podcast, you talked about you know, what what would be my, my goal in the next five years. And um, our, our goal right now as a company for the next five years is to hit those, the, the, the 7,500 7, doors. Okay, that's, that's our, our goal for the next five years. And the only way to do that for us, and this is very specific to our company, is to go after those big portfolios that are only in the US. That's the only reason where else there's a lot of low hanging fruit. So it's not like everybody needs to go to the U S but you're looking at a a population of 10 times the size of Canada. And it just makes sense, right? The numbers make sense and everything just makes a lot more sense as an investor where I'm at
1: currently in my career. Yep. For sure. I think that makes a lot of sense. So I'm wondering so I know there's a good amount of like newer, larger multifamily like investors and, and stuff like that in, in your programs and stuff you do. So I'm wondering because large multifamily is limited in inventory, right? Uh, meaning single family residentials is everywhere. Just turn around and you'll see one, right? Um, versus the larger, larger buildings that really are limited. And in today's market where supply is already limited, is the approach that a new investor has to take? Um, hey, I'll buy anywhere, like I'll buy anywhere in Canada, I'll buy anywhere in like certain provinces, or can you have a very city-centered geographic focus and buy large multifamily?
2: Yeah. So that's a really good question because people will listen to this podcast. People watch other videos, read books, and they'll say, well, like I'm going to go and buy real estate, you know, I'm going to be uh, the next uh, Grant Cardone or whatever, you know, and what happens is that you're going to go to the same watering, watering hole as everyone else. Right. Mm -hmm. And because you don't have the experience, you are going to skip over fundamentals to try to get into a deal that doesn't make sense simply because everyone is Thinking and trying to do exactly what you're doing, and so for me, it's important that first of all, if you're going to get into real estate, period, you cannot uh, steer away from fundamentals. Numbers don't lie, right? You fudging around the numbers is not going to make the situation better, right? And a lot of a lot of the people, the the strategy that the majority of people investing take is the. The hoping, wishing to make money. I, I tell people all the time, you smoke in the hopium, right? And if the only way you're going to make money in real estate is if the piece of real estate goes up in value, then you're a speculator. You're not even an investor at all. And so then then, then people are like, well, like that's all that's out there. Well, if it was easy, everybody would do it, right? Mm-hmm. The majority of the deals that change hands do not happen on MLS, right? By the time it hits the MLS, this is like, this is like uh, <laughs> retail, right? And, and so now there is deals on the MLS, but everyone's going to that same watering hole. Right. And so then people start compromising on locations. Uh, they start, you know, they, they buy in Timbuktu, like I got a really great deal in Nunavut. Like, okay, but you know, how are you going to manage that out in Nunavut? Right. And so people don't think they just tend to operate based on emotion And they tend to follow what everybody else is doing. And so, you know, for my students, we want to teach, first of all, the fundamentals and then teach you how to go to and buy real estate without going to the same watering hole as everyone else. And the truth is, these portfolios change hands, but it happened behind the scenes, off market deals. And as long as you know what you're doing, now it's okay to go to, Saskatchewan, Alberta, but you have to know what you're doing. You cannot go there and not have the education, not follow the fundamentals of real estate. You can go to New Brunswick. The numbers need to work. You know, you can invest downtown GTA, but the numbers need to work. And there is ways of making things work in major markets. I'm still buying in major markets. I'm buying in Ottawa. I've bought in in major markets all across Canada. But there's a way of doing things that do not put you in a situation where you can potentially hurt yourself.
0: Yeah, no, I think that totally makes sense. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on Ontario multifamily real estate, just because, um, I mean, you know, the laws and regulations are so pro-tenant and it makes it hard to get that value add um, within the first couple years. Right. It could be five years or longer turnaround. Um, is it something that you still buy heavily in? And do you suggest like first time multifamily investors to search around Ontario?
2: I think every market has its pros and cons. And so I wouldn't be scared of the landlord tenant board because by the time you go there, you lost. Mm. If you're there trying to fight, you know, for your rights, forget it. (laughs) You're the enemy. (laughs) Right. And so learn how to negotiate, learn how to talk to tenants, learn how all the rules and you have to pay up. Right. Because they have if someone is sitting with a low rent, that's an asset for them. So make an offer. Right. Mm -hmm. And and make sure you go back to fundamentals. Right. So does this you know, if I'm offering this tenant fifteen thousand dollars, does that make sense? Can I make that money back? You know, and depending how low their rent is, it's going to make sense versus, you know, you trying to, you know, always find an empty building. It's, it, you know, you're not going to find that in Ontario.
0: <laughs> you, you exactly. Know? And if you do, it's going to sell at a crazy premium because everyone's going to eye it. Yeah. Exactly. So so you got to be
2: smart. You, mm-hmm. you got to have uh, the worst case scenario in mind. Right. So what does that mean? Every de- every decision that I make, I ask myself, what is the worst case scenario here? And if if I can't deal with the worst case scenario, so if the worst case scenario is, you know, I'm going to have to carry this building for a couple thousand dollars. Well, I'm okay with that at this point. I would not be okay with that at the very beginning. If the worst case scenario is, well, I can't get as many people out as I needed to, and it's going to break even, I can deal with that, right? So a lot of people go into deals Coping. all of these things need to happen. Yeah. And in a perfect world, that doesn't happen. Look what like new Brunswick right now. Do you think that province is going to allow Ontarians to continue to come in and jack up all the rents? So who's going to get caught because eventually they're going to close the barn, Yeah. but the horses are already out. Right. And so what's going to happen is people, when they change those rules, whoever was the last, last people, that we're making these uh, you know these assumptions that they're going to be able to get everybody out and this is how they're going to make money those are the people that are going to get caught up mm-hmm. in the end so worst case scenario if you can't manage the worst case scenario then you should probably not do the deal yeah and so that yeah. that goes for anywhere ontario new brunswick uh, saskatchewan alberta you should be in a position where you can absorb the
0: worst case scenario Yep. that goes with any investment class, not only real estate. Exactly. That's great.
1: Great advice. I I think a lot of people look at like, just assume, you know, real estate prices are going to continue going up and they're probably going to just, you know, sure the numbers don't work today, but they will in three months and realtors love to say, Hey, you just got to hold this for X amount of like months or whatever. Right. Um, So that's great. So just respectful of your time, Alfonso, I want to make sure we ask you kind of our, our two main questions at the end. And I guess we
0: asked one of them already the five year one. (laughs) Yeah, we did. So we, we kind of already covered the five year, but, um, Sorry, the other question, the there, guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's not
1: good. Uh, the other question is really, you know, in today's in today's world, um, where there's so many different risks. I guess for our listeners, what do you perceive is the biggest risk? This could be like, you know, just landlord sentiment, political, you know, economical, whatever it is in your opinion. I think overconfidence.
2: Confidence is important, right? Because you have to take action, but overconfidence creates ignorance creates arrogance and people people tend to be overconfident when they do something consistent and uh, it's like win 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 so what happens is they they start paying higher interest taking on more private debt promissory notes uh, all of these things when people become too overconfident they are they're creating a situation where if something happens they cannot deal with the worst case scenario because they're over they're they're too far into it right and so i think that's i would say um that would be the biggest threat because you know if if we have a co- if there's a correction which is which is good you're better off being ready and not getting the opportunity than getting the opportunity and you're not ready and so you need to when, when that, when that date comes, you need to be liquid, right? And we know that date will come. It's, you know, it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when. And so you need to be liquid to be able to make moves. And so the biggest threat, you know, going back to your question, what is the biggest threat? I think the goes back to the subprime mortgages in the U S right. That was, that was a problem. Like the problem is when people start, Borrowing more than they
0: they can handle. That totally makes sense, especially in an appreciating market. People, you know, people like to think that they're a smart investor because of other factors, but when things go wrong, they point at other factors, right? Exactly. It, it's so it's so funny how the world works. Um, Alfonso, look, we really appreciate you jumping on this podcast. There's so much more I wish we could dive into. Maybe we need to come back for another episode because I want to dive into your actual business. Like, how are you hiring things out? Like, how are you scaling? How are you getting people to do cash for keys all abroad, right? Like, there's so much to get into. But appreciate the golden nuggets you dropped throughout this podcast. I don't think we got into it too much in this podcast. So we did briefly mention you do have a coaching program for students who are looking to break into the multifamily space. couple of our previous guests have been on it, like James uh, Ishan, the Cawair brothers, um, <laughs> Jeff Ortiz, like there's a ton of people. Um, so we'll drop that link down below in the show notes as well. Um, if people want to learn a bit more about it um, from the godfather of multifamily investing himself. <laughs> <laughs> and um, awesome. All of your show, all of your um, website details, everything will be down in the show notes below. I assume the best way to get in contact with you would be on email, Instagram. What is What is the best way?
2: you know what the best way I would say uh, spend some time watching some of my content on my YouTube channel, get your audience to go check me out there. And then Mm -hmm. if anything I say resonates with you, uh, then you can go back to my website or, or whatnot, you know?
0: Awesome. Perfect. Beautiful guys. Um, Make sure to like, subscribe, do whatever you can to support this podcast. It brings out great guests like Alfonso until next time, everyone, invest smarter and live better. Take care.